tax tax which is always exciting. GST reform. That's a great idea. Have a more efficient yeah. tax. Due diligence tax. now. Hello and welcome. You're listening to Tax Wrap. We're on episode 21 this week. My name is Nathan Hewitt and we're joined by Letty and Andy, the usual suspects. How are we doing, guys? Hi, good morning, Nathan. Hi, Nathan. It's good to be here. It is definitely good to be here. Now, today we're going to talk about uh, CGT, particularly the main residence exemption, because we've identified that as an area where people generally have quite a bit of trouble. It is kind of a confusing area, isn't it, Andy? Yeah, Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the... You know, everybody's so close to, you know, particularly here in Australia, property is such a, a big thing. Everybody loves to own their own family home. And and because of that, you know, tax implications do follow with that. And, you know, the main residence exemption, particularly from a CGT perspective, is so uh, so tricky to, to navigate through. So, you know, today we thought we'll just highlight some of those uh, areas that people need to be aware yeah. of. And even though the main residence exemption <laughs> is tricky as Andy says, it's actually quite a good thing to get a um, grasp of because basically what it means is that when you sell your house or any property really, by default a capital gains tax event happens and Mm -hmm. you may very well have to pay CTT on it, pay tax on it uh, if the value has gone up since you bought it, which in most cases you'd hope would happen. (laughs) Uh, But what the main residence exemption does is in, in a lot of circumstances it allows you to get that gain tax-free. So it's probably worth your while to understand a bit about it. Yeah, particularly for most people where, you know, the biggest asset they own is actually their family home. Mm-hmm. Um, any sort of tax saving on that is, you know, uh, is massive. So Absolutely. people need to, you know, sort of be aware of those uh, areas and uh, plan accordingly. Sure, and, and, and as society gets more and more complex these days, it's never as simple as uh, each family just owns one house. Um, Oftentimes uh, people have investment properties and very often people might buy property, live in it for a while, move away somewhere uh, or perhaps rent or buy another property and we'll look at, we'll touch on those implications as well. Okay guys, so if we're looking at selling a house um, that is our sort of primary place of residence, what do we need to establish to make sure that we qualify for the main residence? The first thing is we need to determine whether it is what we call the main residence. Now, main residence is actually a term within the law. Uh, It's not actually defined, but the tax office has actually come out with some guidance on what they would consider main residence. In other words, you can't just buy a house and say, oh, I'm going to call this my main residence, and when I sell it, uh, I can get it Mm tax-free if you can't actually prove that it was what we call main residence. Now, Andy's got uh, something in front of him, a CGT determination number 51 specifically yeah. that talks about what the tax office would consider when the tax office would consider your place to be yeah. your main residence. Cool. I mean, even though this um, TD's actually been withdrawn, the, the factors or the um, things considered in it are still applicable now. Sure. And tax- it's actually still in the ATO guidance yeah, so on the website. So the ATO looks at a number of different factors. Now, those depends, you know, look, they look at how long you've spent time in that actual dwelling you know how long have you lived in it um you know does your family live there with you do you actually treat it as a a home um you know do you have all your personal belongings in there Uh, do you have your mail delivered to you know to the house itself you know so they're they're little basic simple things but they all add up to the this picture that you've treated this place as your home so and other things that they also look at is you know whether you know uh, where you are on the electoral roll do you give that address when mm-hmm. you go to vote as your place of residence. So, and even, you know, your, your overall intention to, to occupy that dwelling. So there's a number of factors that you need to consider. And 
last but not least also you know where your utilities have you set up you know your electricity and your water and do you get the bills um, with respect to that property so there's a few factors there's not one is actually determinative um, you sort of have to look at the overall yeah. picture in other words is to really look at substance over form there's no point in saying oh this is my main residence and I don't have to pay tax when I sell it. If you keep it empty, there's no lights, no water, nothing, um, none of your mail gets sent there, you don't really live in it. But if in substance, if you actually live in it, if you actually have your home in there uh, for all intents and purposes, then then that's when you'll be your main residence. And it's also very important to note that even though one factor that ATL will look at is the length of time that you live there, that's not determinative, so it's not it's not as though if you live there for six months, that's a cutoff. Um, on the other hand, if you if you move your bed in there for two days and then get it out and sell it and make a capital gain, then then it might still smell a bit fishy. Mm-hmm. But uh, it's it's very very important that uh, to get the full exemption, people need to move into it or establish it as their main residence from the outset. Yeah, um, or as soon as practicable, really. Yeah. So obviously with uh, moving houses, there's always delays and Telstra might not come around quick enough and the gas isn't connected and so forth. So the ATO isn't saying, look, if you don't move into it, the minute that, that that you get the keys from the real estate agent, we're not going to consider your main residence. But you have to move into it as soon as practicable. Um, so you can't just drag it out for months on end for no good reason. Okay, so if the tax office is looking at um, possibly challenging whether somebody's... Um, asset was their main residence they lived in that as their primary place of residence for uh, whatever period um how much sort of credence is given to the intention of the taxpayer to occupy the dwelling so in it's, terms of because a lot of this sounds like um yes. intention is part 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 of the whole entire puzzle but they're going to look at facts in reality, like you can say, oh, look, I intend to live in it. I intend to live in it, but you're still staying at your mum's house for the next three and a half years. Mm-hmm. And and the house that you just bought is still empty, no utilities connected. Mm-hmm. Then your intention to move into it sometime in the next 10 years is probably not going to wash over very well. <laughs> yep. But whereas if you intend to live in it, it's just that it's a bit of a pain in the neck getting all the utilities connected and there's a bit of a disaster with Telstra and all that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Then then you, you need to weigh up all the, all the facts. But at the end of the day, they're going to look at the actual factual scenario, whether you've actually made an effort to um, make it your home, whether you've actually made an effort to make it, well, a residence for all intents and purposes. So for most in- intents and purposes, it should be pretty clear whether yeah. your house is your primary presence. Yeah, because it's, it's substance over form. It's look, yeah. where do you go home after you leave work at night? Where do you have a shower after you yeah. leave the gym? Where do you eat your meals? Where do you entertain your friends? Where do all your bills get sent? It's funny that it comes down to the little things like that, isn't yeah, it? it does. Yeah, it's, it's, it does. It's, yeah, and we should probably move on to the actual tax talk, I suppose. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, Andy, could you perhaps explain to us exactly how the exemption works? So, I sell my house, then what? Do I just, just forget about it and get rid of it? Yeah, I mean, the first things first, when you go sell your house, um, you trigger it as a CGT event. Um, that event is called A1. It's the most common event, uh, typically upon disposal. The main residence exemption can happen to other CGT events as well, but we won't touch on that. But A1's your normal straight disposal. And in most instances, if you've held the property for a while, you should derive a nice uh, capital gain. Mm-hmm. Now, what the exemption does is it disregards that gain or alternatively a loss 
there are special rules which relate to the exemption itself. But one of the one of the key rules is that uh, it is limited to two hectares uh, with respect to the the property. So if you've got a large acreage, uh, you will need to do some apportionment uh, if you were uh, calculating the the capital gain on that. So so there are some some special rules which relate to the actual um, relate to the actual gain itself. There has to be a dwelling on that that land, and um, from the tax tax officer's viewpoint and from you know legal standpoint, uh, you can even sometimes uh, go down to a caravan being on, on a block of land. That really, could, that can even constitute your main residence. So, as so long as it's a dwelling and you're actually living in it. Yeah. Okay. So, so the rules are uh, uh, tricky in that regard. That you know there are those tricks and traps that you need to mm. to pick up on. So. So that's the that's the um, that's the actual main residence exemption in a nutshell. Okay. Um, but uh, there are also other special rules relating to that, and um, one of these rules, uh, Nathan, is um, what they call the absence rule, and that's a very very important uh, rule to take into account. Yes. So mm. as I was saying before, uh, quite often these days people might buy one property and then move into another one without selling the first one. Perhaps they want to rent it out as investment property, or they want to move overseas for a while. Or move back with mum and dad for a while to save a bit of money for a wedding or something like that. Mm-hmm. So what happens then? Like, so I, I move out of my home, um, I rent it out. Does that mean I I have to apportion the time, apportion the exemption? No, not really. I mean, under the absence rule, um, it's a special rule. Let's let's say, for example, that Nathan, you've you've got a nice uh, little property that you're staying in at the moment. You say, well, London's a really great place at the moment. I, I want to. <laughs> Go there with all the other backpackers, <laughs> and so you decide to leave your 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 home. Now, if you decide to rent out that home, the the uh, the law allows you up to six years uh, to treat that place as your main residence. Mm-hmm. So uh, you can continue to rent that out up to six years, and it will still be uh, a main residence for you. So if you do sell it at uh, any point in time without that six years, you can still get a full uh, exemption for that. Uh, if you, for example, say, well, I don't really want to rent it out, I'll just, you know, uh, just keep it empty, then that period is indefinite. Uh, so it's a really neat rule, uh, which allows you the full exemption. There are also special rules uh, with respect to um, resetting that period as well. Okay. So, so what if he moves to London for eight years and he rents it out for all that time? Does that mean he loses this six-year this six year concession? Uh, not at all, Liddy. Um, what what he'll do is he'll he'll have some apportionment there. So for those two years, he'll pay a little bit of tax on that. But okay. um, and this apportionment is done on a time basis. What a lot of people have asked us about is obviously the property values change over time, and they've asked us, "Oh, do we just take the market value after the six years or something like that?" No, it's on a pure time basis. So if Nathan has lived in his property for two years, um, and moved away for eight years, then he can claim the exemption for the two years that he lived in, plus his six years under the absence rule. In other words, eight out of ten. Mm-hmm. Yes. But he, he doesn't he doesn't get to say, oh, the market values have gone up later on, and so I'll just I'll just receive it here accordingly. Okay. <laughs> yes. Yeah, so so that's the absence rule in in a nutshell, Nathan. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yes. Another really one really important thing to remember about the absence rule is that. You can only choose one property at a time. Now, in a case where you move away and rent somewhere else and you don't own another property, it's a bit of a no-brainer. Of course, you're going to take that six years exemption. Mm -hmm. But if you buy another property and you rent out your first one as an investment property, then 
you can you can choose which one you want to call your main residence at any given point in time and the one that you're renting out you get to choose it for up to six years but if you want to do that then the one that you're currently living in that you also own then if you sell that one you don't get to call it your main residence for that particular period in other words there's no double dipping at any given point in time you can only pick one of the properties that you own as your main residence. Okay. And the, and the great thing, Nathan, is that you get to make that decision when you prepare your tax return. Mm-hmm. So, you know, so it's a, bit, a little bit of an afterthought, but you can use that as a, a mechanism to, to look at the, your situation at the time that you sell and then work out whether you want to apply that uh, main residence exemption fully. Yeah, that's, that's quite interesting that you can, you, you have that option. Now, um, Deceased estates, because that's a, a particular area that's quite interesting as well um, in regards to the main residence exemption. So how does that fit in? Yeah, so so let's just say that you don't buy um, your home, but you actually inherit from grandma. So Andy, what happens then? You inherit you, you inherit grandma's main residence. What yeah, there's, there's a couple of special rules there with respect to uh, deceased estates. Um, if you do inherit it from, from grandma, um, first and foremost, you do get the market value, um, cost base for that property at the date of grandma's death. Mm-hmm. So you're deemed to acquire it at the date of her death, not when she bought it. Uh, your, your, your acquisition date is the date of her death and your acquisition cost is considered to be her market, the, the market value of that property on the date of her death. It doesn't matter that you haven't had to pay anything for it. So there's no capital gain there basically. If you were to sell that the next day, there wouldn't be the capital gain. Well, you would work out, um, if you sell it down the track, then the normal rules apply. So for example, if you do actually move into it and live in it, then you may be able to get a full exemption because it is actually your main residence. Mm-hmm. Uh, if, you, if you just rent it out, um, then like any other investment property, you will be paying CTT on it. Mm-hmm. Um, except that the cost base is going to be market value as a her date of death and also there's some special rules that may allow you uh, to get tax free if you sell it within two years of her death okay. um, but we won't go into that at the moment but there are certain there are certain concessions around that as well okay yeah I mean it's it's a very very tricky area and uh, yeah sometimes it always goes down back to you yeah. know, what grandma's but, will says as well and yeah know. that's right and, and how you actually acquire the property as well uh, but at the end of the day, what we just want to bring forth is the fact that if you do inherit um, a property that was uh, grandma's main residence, then just be aware that it's, it's, it may, may or may not be tax-free. Um, there are really a lot of special rules around that. Mm-hmm. If you have any questions on that, feel free to call us on our helpline. We'll clear that up for you as best we can. Mm. Now, last, and, uh, last but not least, uh, Nathan, um, I, one thing I also wanted to talk about was what happens when you dispose of that property? The thing is, as we noted a little bit earlier, you do trigger a CGT event. Mm-hmm. We do trigger event A1. Now, how do I go about completing that tax return? Yeah, now, I don't have to pay tax on it, so why do I need to put anything in the tax return? Well, that's, that's, that's a good question. Yeah, that is a very good question, and that's part of the problem. You know, a lot of times people think, well, not paying any tax on that, don't need to disclose it. But realistically, what you do have to do is you have to disclose in your tax return that you have triggered a CGT event. So you say tick yes, and you will need to disclose the capital gain that uh, that you've, you're liable to, which in this case will be zero. And I so think that there's a code for the exemption itself, isn't there? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. So, what so yeah. In other words, you have to disclose the fact that you've sold your house and that you've made a capital gain, but you also disclose the fact that you you don't think it's taxable. That's correct. Yeah. So. 
So what you might find is you might get the tax man knocking saying, well, look, we've noticed you've sold your house. Why is it? Uh, how come you haven't... Uh, how come there's no capital gain? You might have to explain yourself. So, okay. so that's that's one way that the tax office can pick up on these things. Um, but don't fear that the tax office doesn't go knocking on the door of everyone who sells the house. It's just it's just part and parcel of the broader uh, fact checking, really. So yeah. So, but you do get situations where people might not disclose at all. So they yeah. might say, well, you know, nothing happened during the year. And so what the tax office does do, and with some of the other uh, agencies, is to do some data matching. And they do data match with some, with all the state revenue officers, particularly if there's been uh, a transaction in relation to property. So mm-hmm. they might still ask mm-hmm. the question, particularly if they pick up, picked up on the fact that you've disposed of this property, but you haven't disclosed of any special CGT event. So, yeah. so they might look at the state revenue office records and say, oh, hang on, Andy sold the property during this year. Why does his tax return not say anything about mm-hmm. it? So, you know, if, if you do sell your property and it is tax-free, still disclose it. Absolutely. Right. It's really important to make sure you've been compliant at all yeah, times. absolutely. It makes everyone's life easier, I think. Mm. Now, in the April edition of our Taxpayer magazine, there's going to be a Frequently Asked Questions uh, article on uh, main residence exemption at that's, CGT. That's right. That's currently in progress as we speak, but um, we will touch on some of those issues that we brought up, particularly around the absence rule and also, you know, some of the little... Uh, um, some of the little minutiae in terms of what constitutes a dwelling and uh, what constitutes an interest in the dwelling and the ownership period in which you can obtain that main residence exemption. So uh, just watch out for that in the upcoming April taxpayer. Cool. Well, guys, if you would allow me to digress for just a second, we are heading into FBT time. And if there's one thing I've learned while working at Taxpayers Australia, is that FBT is quite the confusing area of uh, tax compliance. Um, but we believe we have the solution. Uh, whatever benefit you want to provide, our FPT Essentials Package, which has just been released, will guide you through the confusing aspects of the compliance process so you can focus on maximising returns. So the FPT Essentials Package includes a compliance checklist, seminar notes, which is taken straight from our FPT Masterclass seminar, uh, declarations forms, and a salary, salary packaging calculator. Now, this package is available uh, for 20% off uh, the normal price until the end of April, so from April 30. Uh, until April 30, sorry, you'll be able to get that for 20% off the normal price. And it's a fantastic resource, isn't it, guys, really, if you want to make sure that you're um, complying with FBT and also giving your employees the best. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the checklist is great and also the, the calculator, you know, allows you to forward plan a little bit for particularly your car salary packages uh, going forward. Now, if you want to take advantage of our FBT Essentials package for the 20% off price, make sure you visit www.taxpayer.com.au forward slash FBT Essentials. Cool. Well, thanks for joining us on Tax Wrap episode 21. Uh, Tune in for episode 22 next week. See ya. See ya.